while the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know we're for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Well, good morning, Uptown Church. How are we doing this morning? My name is Courtney Bond. I am the associate pastor here. Whether you are here in person, maybe you're worshiping online or listening to our podcast, it is wonderful to be in worship with you this morning. Today we are continuing our sermon series called Things Jesus Never Said, which may sound a little counterintuitive, right? I mean, we come to church to hear about the things that Jesus did say, right? Like, Things like love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, these are the cornerstones of our faith. Shouldn't we want to talk about what Jesus did say? And we do, uh, and we do that quite a bit. But we also think that in order to reveal the true meaning and the true power of what Jesus actually did say, that sometimes it helps us to look at it through the lens of what he didn't say what he never actually said. And we think that this can be a helpful exercise for us as Christians because today, more than ever, it seems like it is really, really easy to see the world the way we want to see it, right? Like we can put filters on our pictures before we post them. We choose very intentionally the kind of news media that we want to read and watch and listen to, and the kind we really don't. And what we end up doing is creating kind of these echo chambers for ourselves in which the viewpoints and opinions that we listen to and interact with and consider are really just things we agree with already. And when we do that, for better or worse, we are distorting our view of what the world is really like. And we think that this can happen sometimes with our view of God as well. We get this image of what we want God to be like or what we want God to look like and how God fits in our life, in our world. But the truth is that Jesus came to reveal God to us. The true meaning of life, the true meaning of what God's plan for our lives can be. And it may not always look like what we think. And so today we are talking about something that Jesus never said about happiness. Today we are talking about this. Jesus never said, go and do whatever makes you happy. He didn't say that. Now, I'm guessing most of us want to be happy, right? Like, that's why we read the books and go on the retreats, maybe build a vision board. None of that is with the goal in mind of living an expressly miserable life. Except maybe for, you know, some people. You, always, you know that one person who, for them, the glass is half empty and 
the flowers bring up their allergies and the boat makes them seasick. But for the most part, we all want to be happy. We care about being happy. So please don't read this statement here that Jesus never said, go do what makes you happy and check out. Because we're going to talk about what we mean by happy this morning. So we are back in the Gospel of John, which should be familiar to you if you were a part of our sermon series, Bystander, during the Lenten season. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels that discuss the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in the eighth chapter of John, kind of sandwiched between the story about the Pharisees, the religious leaders, doubting Jesus's authority about who he says he was, and a story about Jesus telling the people and proclaiming that he is, in fact, the light of the world, is this story this morning about a woman caught in adultery. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all of the people came to him And he sat down, and he began to teach them. Jesus had come out early in the morning down from the Mount of Olives to teach. People had heard about Jesus. Word had gotten out about him, about his feeding the 5,000 and walking on water. They wanted to know what this Jesus character was all about. But they're not the only ones who showed up. And some people had a different intent. We see here the scribes and the Pharisees, they brought a woman caught in adultery. And they were making her come before all of them. And they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act. And in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such women. What do you say, Jesus? So the scribes and the Pharisees, first of all, the Pharisees are like the religious leaders of the day. The scribes are like their lawyers. Okay, so the scribes are the ones who have knowledge of the law. They're able to draw up legal documents like marriage contracts and inheritance contracts and the sale of land. So already we're a little skeptical of these Pharisees, right, because they brought their attorneys with them. But not just their attorneys, they've also brought this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. And they say, Jesus, the law says she needs to be stoned. What do you say? I'm going to be honest, this scripture kind of makes my blood boil a little bit. I mean, yes, this woman is guilty. We, we see here in the scripture that she has been caught in the act. What makes me mad, though, is that It's not justice that these Pharisees are seeking. If it were justice that they were after, then they would have followed the letter of the law as spelled out in the Old Testament in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and have brought both offending parties to face these consequences. Because as it says in the newer translations of the Bible, it takes two to tango. But they don't do that here in this makeshift trial. There's only one 
defendant, and it's, it's this woman. And so if they're not looking for justice, what is it that they are seeking? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. They're not looking for justice. They want to entrap Jesus. They think this is a no-win situation for him, right? Because on one hand, if he sides with the law, then all of a sudden his reputation about being this this compassionate healer, this friend of sinners, it's destroyed. And this man named Jesus turns out just to be another Pharisee. But on the other hand, if he shows mercy to this woman, then he is not upholding the law that he says his father gave to Moses. And they can paint him as weak unable to deliver justice. So what does Jesus choose? Does he choose justice or does he choose mercy? Jesus said to them, he bends down on the ground and he writes with his finger and they kept on and on and on questioning him. And he straightens up and says, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down to write on the ground. And I love this passage because simultaneously, Jesus puts the Pharisees in their place. So he actually delivers justice, just not in the way they were thinking, reminding them that they are all sinners, and at the same time offering this scorned and shamed and humiliated woman mercy. Jesus offers her mercy. And then we go on to read that one by one they went away, and Jesus was left alone with the woman before him. He says, woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and from now on do not sin again. Go your way and sin no more. It's this last sentence here that we're going to talk about this morning. And let's talk about it first by talking about what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say, go your way and do whatever makes you happy. Go your way, that was close. He doesn't say, go your way and do whatever it is that you were doing that got you here. He doesn't say that. He says, go your way and sin no more. But why does he end with this? Is Is he chastising the woman? All right, you go off and don't you do that again. No, I don't think so. Jesus is offering her a different path, a road down which will never lead her back to a moment like this one. Sin 
no more. Sounds so easy, doesn't it? Straightforward. Sin no more. But for this woman, for me, I'm guessing for many of you, it's a little more complicated than that, isn't it? It's a little more difficult for us. Whether you judge this woman or you have compassion for her or you take pity on her or maybe a little bit of all of that, you can't deny that she is guilty. She's guilty of sin. She chose temporary happiness at the cost of disobedience to God and eventual pain to herself. Does that sound familiar this morning? Are you struggling with sin in your life? There are a couple of ways we deal with sin, right? One of them is to rename it. We say, well, oh, yeah, that's, that's one of my vices. Or, mm, that's a bad habit, I know. That, that's kind of, that's a guilty pleasure. Oh, and that, that's just fun. We rename it, right? Or we try to relate it to something else that's worse. I mean, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that, but it wasn't as bad as this over here. It was just a little white lie. It was just a drink after work with a colleague. We try to relate it to things that sound worse to make ourselves feel better. Well, this is my favorite. It's, it's not hurting anybody else. It's just hurting me. It's just hurting me. Our sins might look different from one another this morning, but the result of them, I think, is the same. Sin is something that separates us from God. It promises temporary happiness at the cost of disobedience to him and eventual pain to us. So then why are we so easily tempted? There are a lot of reasons that theologians and scholars will debate ad nauseum about sin. But there are two, I think, that speak to our sermon series right now. And the first is this. When happiness is our bottom line, it becomes the standard by which we judge our actions. And what I mean is this, in a culture where everything is relative, where truth is subjective, then we start to define truth by whatever makes us happy. If it makes me happy, it's right. And if it makes me unhappy, it's wrong. This kind of temporary happiness this is the kind of happiness that Jesus never once said he wanted for his children. That's the first thing. And the second is this. We believe so often that happiness and holiness are mutually exclusive. We want to be holy and to lead a holy life, but we don't want to be unhappy right? We think that they're mutually exclusive. And if that sounds familiar to you this morning, I would submit to you that you're looking for happiness 
in the wrong place. There's an author named uh, Max Licato. He's a Christian writer and a pastor down in San Antonio. In one of his books, he provides this illustration about a fish who is washed up onto the shore. And so people are walking by, you know, collecting seashells in the sand, and they see this fish flopping around in distress on the beach. And they want to help him, right? They want to make him happy. So what do they do? They offer him some cash. They want to make him comfortable on the beach, so maybe they get a beach chair out and some sunscreen, a little drink with an umbrella in it. They want to make him happy on the beach. But the truth is, that fish is never going to be happy on the beach. Because he wasn't created for the beach. And you can give him all of the comforts that the beach has to offer, that we all know and enjoy, you can give him all of that and he is never going to thrive because he wasn't created for the beach. And this morning, hear me say that we were not created for this world, for the lower temporal things of this world. That's not what we were made for. So if you think that happiness and holiness are mutually exclusive, then start thinking about the type of happiness that you really want. That happiness that's defined by true fulfillment, love and mercy and grace, and a life abundant. That is what you were created for. And in that paradigm, holiness and happiness are not mutually exclusive. They are connected inseparably. They are related. They are united. Not for the lower temporal things of this earth that may promise satisfaction in the moment, but at the cost of disobedience and eventual pain to us. That's the earthly version of happiness. But the eternal version, that is the kind of happiness that Jesus wants for each and every one of us today. It's what he wants for you. It's what he wants for me. It's what he wants for this woman in our scripture today. To whom he says, go and sin no more. When you look at it that way, this is not a condemnation of Jesus. He is not condemning her or shaming her. He is saying, go, be free. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to live in fear and in darkness. That you can live into a life that is filled with grace and with truth. 
go and be free, Jesus says. I love how the psalmist says here that you show me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures evermore. You, Jesus, show me the path. And if I'm looking for fullness of joy, if I'm looking for true happiness, it is right there in the presence of God. That's why when the woman from our story, when she is brought before Jesus, ashamed and scorned and humiliated, notice again what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, I can't believe you did that. I'm so ashamed of you. I'm so embarrassed by you. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say that to her, and he doesn't say that to us. What he says instead, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Here is mercy, free and full. It is my gift to you because I love you. Take it and go. Go and be free. Leave this life that got you here. There is so much more that I intend for you. Go and sin no more. What he is saying is go and find true happiness. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for this beautiful morning. We give you thanks for the opportunity to gather together and worship and praise your name. God, we also come before you humbly reminded of our sin. That we are guilty and there is a debt, God, that we owe that we can never repay. Remind us of your mercy and all that you have done to make us free. God, let that embolden us. God, let it empower us not to go back to that life of sin, not to go back to those choices that brought us here, but to begin again, oh God, to start a new life in your name, free the shackles of sin. Remind us that we can be truly, truly happy in your presence. We pray all of these things 
in your holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.